0: In Psalm 85, the psalmist begins by recounting the things that God has done, how he's shown mercy to the nation of Israel, how he's poured out blessing on them, how he's restored them time and time again. And he ends with this cry, he's saying, God, would you come or would you restore us once again because we know that you're able. God, would you come or would you revive our hearts once again so that we can rejoice in you, so that we can know your unfailing love in our lives. And he says this, and I love it, it says, I listen carefully. To what God the Lord is saying, for he speaks peace to his faithful people. And this morning, I believe God is speaking to us. If we will have ears to listen to him, if we will have ears to hear him, he's speaking peace over our lives. in the different struggles that you're going through, and the trials that you're going through right now, and the places in your life where you need God to work restoration, where you need him to revive you. It says that he's here to speak peace into those areas of your life this morning. So, Father, this morning we come before you with hearts open to you. And we silence our minds and all of our cares and concerns, every other voice in our life right now, so that we can hear you speak to our hearts. God, would you speak peace? Would you speak life into us? Would you speak faith into us, God? God, would you speak your unfathomable love into us that we would taste and we would see, that we would know how good your love is for us, God? That's what we're here for this morning, is to encounter you, to encounter your presence because we believe that our lives are changed when we hear the King of Heaven speak to us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, amen. Good morning. My name is Jeremy. I'm the lead pastor here. I'm so glad that you're here with us this morning. I believe God is going to do great things today. Before you take a seat, once not you turn around, find a neighbor, and wish them a happy Sunday morning. This morning, if you have your Bibles with you, would you turn to two different passages, Genesis chapter 11 and then John chapter 17. Again, that's Genesis chapter 11 and John chapter 17. We're continuing our series called Faith and Politics, which I know you guys are all just thrilled about. We get to talk about politics in church. Um, but the reason that we're doing this is because in this election cycle, I've seen more fear, divisiveness, and dishonor than I've seen in any other election that i I can remember in my life, I'm only 35, so I haven't seen a whole ton of elections yet. Uh, Maybe those Abraham Lincoln debates got pretty testy. I don't know. But in my memory, this is by far the most divisive election that I can remember. In fact, I was reading an article this week, and it was talking about how divorce lawyers are seeing an incredible spike in divorce filings. And the reason for that is because the people in the marriage disagree on who should be president of the United States of America. People are throwing away their marriages. They're destroying their families. They once said, in sickness and in health, uh, for better, for worse, till death do us part. Oh, you're voting for who? I don't love you anymore. Think about that. It's not like they're fighting over leaving the toilet seat up or down. I could maybe understand that. But they're fighting over who they think should be the president and it's causing so much disunity between the couples that they're filing for divorce. To me, that is absolute insanity. But also we see another uh, uptick in something and Facebook is reporting that there's a huge increase in unfriendings right now. I mean, come on, we're not even friends anyway. We're virtual friends who probably haven't seen each other since 12th grade. (laughs) But what we do is we find out that they view politics different than we do. And instead of just looking at it and saying, oh, they disagree with me, they have a different point of view from their life experiences, the lens through which they see the world, we feel like we have to get involved and that we have to, you know, I'm going to change their mind. I'm going to show them why their candidate is the living incarnation of evil, and why my candidate is the savior of all of mankind. And so we get in there and we start posting about how they're an idiot and they're stupid and their candidate's going to destroy America and probably the world. And then other people who you don't even know who are friends with them start jumping in too. So you have 20 people who've never met and they're all telling each other how terrible they are and how horrible they are. And I love Twitter even more because on Twitter you're limited to 140 characters, and that's including emojis. I mean we. So what you have happening is someone posts 140 characters and then you're trying to change their lifelong political ideology in 140 characters including like a frowny face emoji as well for emphasis. And people are unfriending each other, they're blocking each other. It's causing incredible divisiveness and disunity over all of that. And that's something that's even affecting the church. It's not something that's going on just with people who haven't submitted their lives to Jesus and are following the flesh. That would be understandable. But when it's people who say that we're brothers and sisters in Christ and that we're following Jesus together and we have that kind of discord and disunity amongst us, the church is in trouble. And right now, more than ever, the church needs to be a people who are united. We can't afford to be divided over the issue of politics because there is an entire world that God has called us to reach with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that only happens when we're united. The power of unity is an incredible thing. I love this story in Genesis chapter 11 and it really demonstrates how powerful unity is. It says uh, in verses 1 through 9, At one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. As the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia and settled there. They began saying to each other, Let's make bricks and harden them with fire. In this region, bricks were used instead of stone and tar was used for mortar. So in case any of you are wondering, that's included in the biblical text. Then they say, Come, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. But the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower the people were building. Look, he said, the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse the people with different languages so they won't be able to understand each other. In that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world and they stopped building the city "...that is why the city was called Babel, because that is where the Lord confused the people with different languages." In this way, he scattered them all over the world." See, what's happened is God told mankind to go out. We're supposed to cover the entire earth. We're supposed to be fruitful and multiply and spread out. And what they want to do, I love this, how even going back all of those years, we still want to be famous. We want to do something to draw attention to ourselves. They wanted to make themselves great. So they side, instead of being obedient to God and filling the earth, they're going to hang out in one city and they're going to build a great tower so that they never have to scatter and they can be famous together. And what this shows is that the power of unity makes all things possible. God himself comes down and he says that they're going to be able to do anything they set their mind to because of the fact that they're united. It's not because they're so skilled or so gifted, it's because of the power that comes through unity, through common cause, through us coming together to pursue something that's bigger, something that's greater than ourselves, laying our own wills and desires and our own ego aside so that we can be a part of achieving something far greater than we could ever accomplish on our own. One of my favorite examples of this is the Apollo 11 mission. Still, when I look up at the moon, it's hard for me to believe that we have actually been there. And some of you are probably going, we have not it was all shot in a Hollywood studio. But it still blows my mind in how quickly it happened. Kennedy said, let's go land on the moon because the Russians put someone in space and then in just such a short number of years, we actually put someone on the moon. But do you know what it took to do that? There were over 400,000 people that worked on the Apollo 11 mission. 400,000 people were able to come together and develop the technology and the resources and the means that it took to blast people off into space, land them on the moon, and bring them back. Even just 20 years before that, that would have seemed like an impossibility. A hundred years before that, you would have been locked up if you had said that someday people will land on the moon. But nothing is impossible when people are united for good and for bad. God isn't the only one who recognizes the power of unity. Satan recognizes that too. And he knows that if we're united in our mission as Christians to make disciples of all the nations and to teach them to follow the commands of Jesus, that nothing can stop us. Absolutely nothing can stop us. Just so think about this. God came He left the glory of heaven. He left his position, his power, his authority, humbled himself, came in flesh. Jesus lived amongst us. He served us. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sins to restore our relationship to God. And he sent us the Holy Spirit now to empower us so that we can actually accomplish the mission that God has given us. And if we will just be united because of what Jesus has already done, because of the gift of the Holy Spirit that God has given us and the command that we have from the throne of heaven to go and to make disciples of all the nations, there is nothing that we can't do if we will be united. There are billions of people who have never heard that there is a God who loves them. There are billions of people on this planet that have never heard the name of Jesus. They've never heard that there is salvation. They've never heard of repentance of their sins. They've never heard of the life that we have in God. And God has sent us to them. He's made a way for them to know his love for them. It just takes us being a people who are united, a people who will go after this thing that God's called us to, recognizing that none of us are capable of doing this on our own. But when we come together, we can do more than put a man on the moon. We can reach the nations. Every person on the face of this earth could hear the name of Jesus. Of the one billion plus people who profess the name of Jesus would be united As brothers and sisters in Christ, and if they would be united in the mission that God gave us to fulfill. Our unity is so important that in the longest prayer that we see recorded in the Bible, the thing that Jesus prays for is unity for the believers. In John 17, verses 20 through 23, Jesus says this I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. And I'm not just praying for you 12, I'm praying for everybody in all of time that will ever put their faith and trust in me, all Christians. And he says, I pray that they will be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that when the world will believe, you have sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love me as much, sorry, that they love them as much as you love me. What God's saying is that his will is for unity. A unity that looks like the unity that Jesus has with the Father He says, that's the kind of unity that I'm praying that all of my disciples will have amongst themselves. Our unity is so important. It's what Jesus prays for. And I love how he does it out loud in front of his disciples. You guys ever been praying with someone and they want to say something to you, but they don't have the courage to say it, so they pray it to you? (laughs) Lord, we just pray that you'd help Jeremy to stop being such an idiot Lord, that he would eat more vegetables and eat less red meats. You can just tell me that. I don't know why you're trying to spiritualize confrontation by praying this. But this is what Jesus is doing. He's doing a teaching prayer. He knows his disciples are listening. So he's like, I pray that you would all be one. Probably does not have his eyes closed either. Probably looking right at him. But that's his prayer. I want you to be one just as God the Father and I are one. We can't even please God without unity amongst ourselves. See, what God's done is he reveals himself in his relationship to us. He says, I'm your father. I'm your good father. And you're my sons and my daughters. That's the relationship that we have. And I'm pouring out my love and my blessings on you. I want you to relate to me as a child relates to one of their parents. And as a parent, for those of you who have children, you know that there is no greater blessing in this life than when your children are playing together, when they're hugging each other, when there's peace and quiet in the house. You just feel like, bless you. I'm your good, good father and I will give you half my kingdom. <laughs> but when your children are fighting and when they're being petty about the stupidest, when they're fighting over the stuff that this is mine, we're talking about, I bought that for you. You don't have a job, you're four. I bought everything you have. You have no right to lay any claim over anything in this entire household. You can't be selfish and not share because it came from me. So you better share. And when they are squabbling and fighting with each other, there is no greater like, friction and anger. I turn from good, good father to mighty smiter when my children have disunity. I am not a happy father when my kids are squabbling and when they're fighting. I am not pleased, and we cannot please our Father when we're fighting with our brothers and sisters. Amen. It breaks my heart when my children fight. When I think about my parents now and how I would, my mom would cry when my sisters and I would fight, and I didn't understand. I was like, "Mom, this is stu- why are you crying? That's that's dumb. Like clearly, my sisters are wrong here. You should be coming to my aid and to my defense." but she would be heartbroken because we were fighting. She loves us all so much that it just breaks her heart to see us fight with each other. And it's the same for God. His heart is for us. He loves us all equally. And it just tears his heart apart when we're fighting each other, when we're squabbling with each other over stupid things. We cannot please God when we are fighting with each other. We must be united if we're going to please God, we must be united. If we're going to accomplish what it is that He's called us to, because we can't reach the nations with the love of Jesus Christ when the love of Jesus Christ isn't in the hearts of the people of the church. It starts with us. How can we go out and tell someone how much God loves them? We've been adopted into this great family. We're like, shut up! You're an idiot. You're stupid. Blah, blah, blah. If that's not convincing. If there's no love in us and we have nothing to offer anyone else, it's just a lie. Our unity is proof of our faith. It says in John 13:35, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Our unity is a proof of the fact that we are followers of Jesus Christ. It says that you cannot hate your brother or your sister and say that you love the Father. It says if you say that, that you're a liar. And so one of two things has to happen inside of us. Either we have to stop hating our brothers and sisters in Christ or we have to drop the name of Christian. But one of those things has to go because they cannot coexist together. We will either love and have unity and be followers of Jesus or we will hate, be divided, and will renounce our discipleship. Whether we do it with our words, we will have done it indeed and we will have done it in our hearts. And also our unity is an evangelistic tool. Have you guys ever gone to someone's house and you go there and you just love being with that family? It was like that for my kids. My parents are absolutely awesome. Even though my sisters and I fought and we were idiots most of the time, my parents loved us. And there was still a degree of love that we experienced for each other. Uh, It was one of those things of nobody better say anything about my sisters but me. And I have full right to be as mean as I want to. Uh, but what happened is my friends would come over to my house. And actually for my sisters, we always, the house was always packed with our friends because they all wanted to come there because we sat down and we ate meals together as a family. We weren't allowed to say mean things to each other. We respected each other. Even though we had serious disagreements about what we should watch on TV and other things like that, there was still a love and a respect that existed amongst us and it drew people in. They wanted to be a part of our family. Have you ever been to someone's house and you went there once and you thought, I am never, ever going here again? It doesn't matter if they have like an Atari 2600. It doesn't matter if they have go-karts, all of these great things. If everybody's fighting and rude and mean to each other, you don't want anything to do with that family. And it's the same way for us. We're we're like the rich kids. We have all the good stuff. You come into our family, we have salvation. We have freedom. We have healing. We have hope. We have deliverance. We have restoration. We have joy. All of these things are the blessings that we as the family of God have received. But if people come in and they see all the cool stuff we have, but they see how much we bicker and we squabble and we fight and they see all the division, the disunity, it doesn't matter about all the good stuff we have. They won't want to be a part of our family We're representing the family of God because that's who we are. The way that we love each other isn't just a proof of the fact that we follow Jesus. The way that we love each other is something that draws people in. It's what makes them want what it is that we have because every single one of us, as a part of our psyche, as a part of the way God made us, we have this need to belong to a family. We have a need to belong to the family of God. But what's the way that Satan comes and he's dividing us right now? He's trying to stir up dissension in this family of God. Right now, the greatest way that I see that happening is over the issue of politics. Right now, the family that is called to make disciples of all the nations, the family that's called to, through the love that we have with one another, we're supposed to be able to be united to go out and to evangelize and to reach all the nations. Right now, we're denying our witness and we're abandoning God's command to make disciples and we're grieving the heart of God through our divisiveness all over the issue of politics. The early church dealt with the same thing. Paul wrote to Titus, who was a pastor at the time, and in Titus 3.9 it says, But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law, because these are unprofitable and useless. So what Paul is saying is, I'll paraphrase it for you, stop arguing about stupid things. The church that Titus pastored wasn't living in unity. They were fiercely divided amongst themselves. And what was it that was so earth-shatteringly important that they would abandon the commission of God of modeling and demonstrating his love to all the nations? It was genealogies and arguments about the law. It'd be like if you went on Ancestry.com and you were trying to prove to people that you were related to William Bradford, but they said you weren't as good because you weren't related to him. And then they're arguing about the law. Who cares? In the grand scheme of things, of what it is that God has called us to be, of what it is that God's called us to do, why on earth would we disobey Jesus and watch a generation around us go to hell because we're so concerned about arguing with each other, trying to prove ourselves right over things that really are useless? When we argue about who's the least terrible person to be president of the United States of America and we get into heated debates about that and we start hating each other and dividing ourselves over it and avoiding people because of that, we're abandoning the call of God on our lives. We're saying to the people who are around us, me being right politically and advancing my political ideology is more important than you ever coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and receiving the blessings that he has for you. That's what we're doing. Because arguing about politics is unprofitable and it's useless. Now, we don't believe that. But this is what it means. When it says it's unprofitable, it means there's no profit to doing it. You might say, what are you talking about? I'm advancing my political ideology. I'm, I'm showing people that my party is the right party and the other parties are all absolutely terrible. Well, it's like this. If you have a job, but you decide that instead of going to work, I'm going to call in and I'm going to go out and collect pop cans on the side of the road for the next two days to make some money, well, by the end of those two days, you might have made $1.20 picking up pop cans, but you've missed out on hundreds of dollars that you would have received had you gone to work. That's unprofitable. It's the same thing for us. Our calling is to make disciples of Jesus Christ, not disciples of the Republican or Democrat Party. And so, when we abandon our job, when we abandon our primary calling to try to advance our political ideology, you might sway a few people into voting for your candidate, but you will have missed out on making disciples. You will have stirred up division and disunity between yourselves and other members of the church. And that is unprofitable. You will have lost in the end. And it's also useless because, let's face it, you can't change anybody's mind, anyways. I have never seen it happen once. I have never seen a Facebook argument where after a hundred comments and replies and likes and frowny faces, someone said, you know what? You're right. I see your way. I am now going to be a part of the Blue Enigma Party. You have totally convinced me. But the reason why we do that, the reason why we don't believe that it's unprofitable and useless is because we've attached a hope for the advancing of the kingdom of God to our political party. We think that in order for Jesus to do what it is that Jesus wants to do, this person has to be in office. This person has to be in power. And if this other person gets into office, then it's all over. Jesus is going to pack up his bags and go home because he's going to be powerless to be able to stop the, the horde of evil that's about to be unleashed on the world. I love it when we play this trump card. I threw that in there. We say... I wrote that one out. (laughs) We say, no Christian could vote for Trump or no Christian could vote for Hillary. Have you heard people say that? Yeah. Say, well, this might be a terrible candidate, but no Christian could vote for the other person. Well, you know what I think? I think no Christian can attach their hope to any person from any party. Our hope is in Jesus. And if we're looking to anyone else, we will be sorely disappointed. It doesn't matter who's in office. Jesus is the one who sits on the throne. He's the king of all kings. He reigns and he rules over all and he is coming again for his bride, the church. Stop pushing your political ideology and start pushing the person and the hope that we have in Jesus. Churches tend to divide along political lines. We divide along racial lines and we divide along political lines. And this is, I think, something that is completely opposite of what it is that God's called the church to be. He said that my house is to be a house of prayer for all nations. Our church should look like our city. It shouldn't look like one race, and it shouldn't look like one political party. But that's always the natural draw that we have. But this is what I think we need to do. You know who's welcome at Radiant Church? Democrats, Republicans, Libertarians, Green Party, Tea Parties, Communists, Socialists, Blue Enigma Party, and anyone else from any other political party that you can think of. Because I don't care about how it is that we divide ourselves over theories behind self-governance. I am concerned about the blood of Jesus that unites us into one family, pursuing one cause to make disciples of all the nations. We are a family that is united by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that is a greater uniter than any divider. And you know what a family needs to do sometimes? This was what my father gave us very spiritual advice to my sisters and I. He'd say, just shut up. (laughs) Usually you'd be driving the car and we'd be in the backseat arguing, you know. Just trying to, shut up back there. Sometimes we just got to keep our opinions to ourselves. Sometimes there are things that we know are so divisive that we just need to keep our opinions to us. We need to stop arguing with our brothers and sisters and go make disciples of Jesus Christ just like our Father called us to. And it doesn't matter what your political leaning is. That should have no bearing on who it is that you hang out with, who it is that you're friends with, who you love. It should have no bearing on the unity that you have with those who are around you. It shouldn't affect any of that. Because in the grand scheme of things, it's unimportant. You know what I've discovered? There aren't two theories in the world for how to best self-govern. In the United States of America, we think it's two. I love talking to Christians from other nations, and their political theories are just completely different than anything that we have. And to be honest with you, I have no idea if mine are right. Odds are they aren't. (laughs) To be completely honest with you, probably what we think of as the ideas that we have for how to best self-govern are probably completely off So why does it even matter to us? Why would we be divided over this issue? See, we've got it all backwards. We have this idea in America that we need to have our faith be a private issue and that our politics need to be public. It should be exactly the opposite. We should be going public with our faith to every person that we meet. We need to be demonstrating and declaring the love of Jesus for them and the unity that we have as a restored family who have been joined together by the blood of Jesus. We should never be fighting and dividing over that. We should keep our political beliefs more to ourselves, I think. You know what was great before social media? Was you didn't know what people thought, so you could love them and be friends with them. (laughs) Maybe we should take a Facebook and Twitter and Instagram fast until after the election. That's why I say, if it would honestly be easier for you to love and have unity amongst the church if you didn't know what people believed, then don't know what they believe. It's that simple. And I love this too. You know what President, I'm trying to think through my life, so President Reagan, President Bush, President Clinton, President Bush, President Obama, you know what they've done for me? Nothing. They never send me Christmas cards. <laughs> I haven't gotten, when I had surgery, they didn't come visit, they didn't send flowers. They don't know who I am. They never will know who I am unless I do something really terrible and I'm not going to do that. But do you know who does know me? You know who formed me in my mother's womb? You know who died and gave himself up for me? Jesus Christ, my Lord. He changed my life. Personally, he knows me and I know him. So I'm going to spend a lot more time advancing the one who died and gave himself up for me than I ever will any president. Because of what Jesus has done in my life, what he's continuing to do in my life, and because of what he can do in the life of every other person. Our unity is vital to our faith. Our unity is vital to our witness. When we divide ourselves over the issues of politics, nothing good is going to come of it. So that's how we're supposed to interact together as a church in the issue of unity. But I'm going to cover one more thing really quickly, and is that how are we supposed to treat the government and those who rule over us? Because right now I see an awful lot of dishonor uh, for every person. If you're in office right now, you've probably had all kinds of crazy emails sent to you and threats and phone calls and people saying terrible things about you on social media and everything else. And that's not the way that we've been called to live and to treat those who are over us. The apostles lived under an incredibly corrupt, oppressive, pagan, evil government that was committed to killing Christians and destroying the church. They were as oppressive as a regime as there has ever been, conquering the known world, imposing their will on the people and slaughtering millions. And this is what Peter said to the church. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution Nowhere did Peter say trash them on social media. (laughs) This has been a brutal election. Uh, To be honest, uh, the two main candidates running have the highest disapproval ratings of any two people to ever run for office. So they're not lending themselves to be endeared by the people to begin with. But the call of God on us is to honor them. We have to honor whoever it is that is ruling over us. It doesn't mean we have to agree with everything that they do. It doesn't mean that we can't speak for truth. But we always do it in a way that is honoring and in a way that is loving. Think of the example of Jesus as he's on trial. Innocent man, God in flesh, is standing there in trial before Pilate. And Jesus never dishonored him. Jesus never spoke poorly of him or to him. He was honoring to those that falsely accused him and condemned him to death. Think of Paul. Paul went before Nero who ultimately had him beheaded. But Paul, knowing that by appealing to Caesar, his life would be forfeit, he still did it. And you never read anywhere in the scriptures of where Paul is dishonoring to the evil rulers that are over him. But he goes there purposely knowing he's going to die for the purpose of being able to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the emperor of Rome. He was willing to lay down his life to do that. Peter, the one who wrote this, said that we have to honor the emperor. He was kicked out of the city of Rome, and as he's leaving, he has a vision of Jesus on the cross. And it convinces him to go back into the city and continue to declare the gospel, knowing that it's going to lead to his death. Nero has him arrested and has him crucified on a cross upside down for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Peter would never bend his knee and declare that Caesar is Lord because that would go against everything God's called us to. But he would also never dishonor someone that was ruling over him. He honored him in his life. He even honored the emperor in the way that he went to his death. And we've been called to do the same thing. We're called to pray for them. We're called to thank God for them. We're called to bless them. And we will never do that to someone that we don't honor. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, it says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. Now, Our biggest concern shouldn't be whether uh, Hillary or Donald becomes the president of the United States of America. Our primary concern regarding them should be their salvation. Our primary concern should be asking that God would move on their hearts, that he would bless them, that he would reveal himself to them, that he would surround them with wise and godly people to give them counsel. We need to pray that God would change our hearts and turn our hearts so it doesn't matter who it is that rules over us, we recognize that they're there only because God has allowed them to be, that God has given them a platform, and now we need God to work on their hearts and to change them so that they would come to the place of saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and submit their lives fully to them. But that will never, ever happen if we, the church, hate them, if we're angry about them, and if we dishonor them. When we dishonor those over us, we sin against God. And we destroy any chance of the church being effective in their lives. We're called to bless. We're called to give thanks. We're called to pray and to intercede on behalf of those who rule over us. We need to honor them Regardless of whether they're honorable or not because it's the will of God our Father and it's the way that he's going to advance his kingdom through those who reign and rule in high positions. And this morning, let's just take a moment and let's just pray to God and ask him what it is that he would have us do with this. Now, I would ask you, has there been disunity that's been stirred up inside of your heart? Over anything. It doesn't have to be politics. It could be anything else. But are you holding something against one of your brothers or sisters? Because God is so serious about our unity that he said we're not even allowed to come and have communion if we have unforgiveness in our hearts or an issue with a brother or sister in Christ. We're not even allowed to come to the family table to share in the family meal. If there's someone that you need to forgive inside of your heart and do that now, release them from that. Give that burden over to God. Ask him to fill you with love and grace and mercy for them. Ask him to give you eyes to see them the way that God sees them. To be filled with love and affection for them to put aside petty differences and things that don't matter so that we can be united as the church of Jesus Christ and so that we can boldly, fearlessly be united in declaring the gospel and reaching all the nations. Maybe you're here this morning and you're beginning to understand God's truth and you're awakening to his love for you You're hearing him speak to you. You're hearing him call you to be a son, to be a daughter, to be joined into his own family. And this is what that means for you. Respond to that. Say, Jesus, thank you for your love for me. God, forgive me of my sins. I turn away from the old life, and I want the life that you have for me come and be the Lord of my life. I give control over the decision-making in my life to you. I'm going to follow you. I want all that you have to offer me. Send the Holy Spirit to me. God, give me the ability to hear you speak to me and to sense your promptings and nudgings. Begin the work of changing my heart, changing the way that I think to be like the way that you think. And God, fill me with knowledge of your goodness. Uh, fill me with that sense of your presence, that um that sense of unity and acceptance that I have in you and make me a part of this church family so that I can call you Father and that you can call me your child. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I encourage you. We're going to continue to worship this morning and continue to allow God to speak to you and take a moment just to worship him and enjoy his goodness.